So, about a week ago, there was a conversation surrounding the Colorado Avalanche that went a little something like this. Is this the most talented team in the salary cap era? I would say that the Tampa Bay team that Dougie Hamilton rightfully pointed out and fairly pointed out that was $18 million over the salary cap for whatever reason he got hammered for that. I loved it. I want to talk to Merrick about that too. It's probably a little bit more talented, especially considering they won. But their talent in a big game in a lot of ways comes through. You know, Nathan McKinnon gets two assists. They lose. But the story here, I think anyways, and the story for us, and the story for many, was this is now the third elimination game that Nazem Kadri has watched from the press box. And it's hard not to think that a guy who, as talented as he is, that this isn't his legacy and that this isn't just who he is and that he, it's going to be very, very difficult for him to ever overcome it. Uh, Jeff Merrick, Hockey Central, NHL and Sportsnet, 31 Thoughts, all the things. He joins us now. What's up, Jeff? How are you doing, buddy? Hello, JD. Ben, good morning. How are you guys today? Good, buddy. I feel a little bad, though, I will admit, because I'm an Azam Kadri fan. Well, I'm, I'm a Kadri fan. I, I like the guy. And I think he did a lot of maturing in a lot of ways while he was here in Toronto. Um, I think he, in a lot of ways, is a good ambassador for the game. And yet the thing that got him to the NHL, which is this the, this fiery disposition, this care level, this uh, physical element to his game, backfires on him in the biggest moments. And it results in another suspension. And... Is, is it maybe unfair a little bit to be putting a loss all at his feet? I'm not trying to do that here. Mm-hmm. But, man, again, three times your team is eliminated <laughs> and you can't be in a series because you do this stuff? I, like, yeah. I don't know how the Avalanche bring him back. I don't know what his trade value is to another place. I, I, like, there's so many fallout questions to the Kadri story that like, I don't even know where to begin. Where do you begin? Okay, I begin with a um, – I want to begin with an anecdote. And a conversation that I had um, with Peter DeBoer, who, ironically enough, is now coaching Vegas, who just knocked off Colorado. Mm -hmm. And this is when Peter DeBoer was coaching the Kitchener Rangers. And it was a powerhouse team. Like, this is a Memorial Cup team. Derek Roy, David Clarkson. Mm -hmm. Like, this is, like, high-end team, okay? Mike Richards, a really high-end junior team. Great squad. And at the OHL trade deadline, he trades for Steve Downey. From the Peterborough Peets, who was shuffled off there after the Alou incident in Windsor. And Downey, as you guys will recall, had the worst reputation in the OHL. Sure, he was highly skilled, yep. like first round skilled, but he was wild. He was he was a wild player, reckless, dangerous, violent, all those things. And I remember at deadline, though DeBoer makes the trade. I remember asking Peter. I said, you know, this is, this is an interesting one for me. I, I don't know that I understand it. And he said, what don't you understand about it? And I said, you have a team that's good enough not just to win the Robertson Cup champ- championship of the OHL, but you have like a Memorial Cup good team. Like, why would you risk that by bringing in Steve Downey? Like, I understand the attraction because he's a highly skilled player and physicality is what physicality is in, in, the, uh, in the world of hockey. But why would you bring in Downey? You know, he's dangerous, he's violent, he's going to hurt people, prone to suspension, like all of that, distraction, all those reasons. And DeBoer cut me off and said, listen, listen, I understand all of those things. I get all of that. Like, we all have watched Downey. We all know the story. And then he said something that's always stuck with me. And, and I think it applies in this situation. 
He said, as a coach, you can do one of two things. You can either tame a tiger or paint stripes on a kitty cat. And as a head coach, I'd rather have the job of trying to tame a tiger because painting stripes on a kitty cat is really hard and usually it doesn't work. It's easier to calm someone down than build someone up. And when I see the Kadri situation, that's what I always think of. That conversation I had so many years ago with Pete DeBoer when he coached in the OHL. And that's kind of how I see Nazem Kadri. And that's why, again, it's awful tempting to have that player in the lineup. Because A, wildly skilled, like elite level skills on Nazem Kadri. Um, two, he's physical. He walks to the line and sometimes he steps over it. But trust me, man, as a coach, you look at Kadri and you say, give me a shot to take this guy down a notch. Because if we can get him there, he becomes one of the most important players on our team. Yeah, you know how I hear that story, though, Jeff? Is one, okay. Downey was, what, 17? <laughs> Nazem Kadri's 31. Well, there Two, is, that is that too. Yeah, that is a coach. That's the coach's hubris, is a coach always looks at the clay and goes, I can mold this into something. What about a GM? What about the rational-headed guy who's like, uh, well, I'm not in the business of taming tigers. I'm in the business of making winners, and I want my tigers in the arena, not well, in the cage, because they ate another lion tamer. Well, that's, and that's so, the thing, yeah. The tamer is using his left arm because his right one just got bit off, right? Yeah. That's, well, no, there's no tamers left with any. All the tamers have held their arms. They've all been mauled. Mm. I, I just don't know. So, yeah, you can always talk me into bringing in a skilled guy who plays with bite. It's just that this is different. There's lots of guys who are skilled and play with bite. Maybe not as many as uh, there are Nazem Kadri's out there, but I just don't know what you can give up for this. Um, when he left Toronto, that was the whole thing. Is like he can't possibly do it again. I just I think if you're a team and you're looking at this and you're sacrificing real pieces to win, I just don't know how a general manager doesn't talk. Like if you trade for Kadri now and he does this again, how does it almost not cost you your job? So let me ask you this question then. Do you want a team of guys that are too intense or not intense enough? No, too intense. But, Jeff, this is not like – there's a huge difference here though, man. There's no, a huge I, I, difference I, listen, between I, intense I and Hyman's, you know, and Kadri where it's three straight times in a postseason sure. that matters. Or three out of four, sorry, where he just can't stay on the ice because when a push comes to shove, he sees red, he loses something. And, like, if you've already had it twice at this age and then mm -hmm. to do it a third time and then still be trying to appeal and I, I, I just don't know, man. I, I just think when, I, when Nazem Kadri hangs him up, all I'm ever going to think about is this. And it's, it's going to be hard unless he wins a cup yeah. and he's like the con Smythe. Like, I don't know how else he ever overcomes it. Yeah. To me, that's more of a... Um team leadership issue like that's Landeskog that's McKinnon by the way that McKinnon press conference last night mm. when, a, when a player starts talking about frustration and been here for eight years uh oh like the organization all of a sudden their spine straightens up and and they stiffen my only point about Nazem Kadri is is he's I mean he's tempting for every coach and every GM in the NHL because mm -hmm. Again, and you can call it hubris, and you can call it, oh, yeah, you know, you just get him in our program, and, and we'll, we'll get this guy, you know, uh, walking the line but, but not stepping over it. Um, this is still a high-end player, and I get the frustration. But I'm just saying, like, from a coach's point of view, coaches don't like having to pump up their team. They'd rather have to calm their team down, and that's why a guy like Kadri. And I get, you know, three times in a row, right, this happens, and it costs his team. 
We all understand that. I just don't know if you're the avalanche. Like, to me, this is a... To me, maybe the most important person here is Gabriel Landeskog. And Gabriel Landeskog is an unrestricted free agent. Now, we all expect Landeskog to resign with the Colorado Avalanche. But this is, you know, a, a test of internal leadership. More than it's anything the coach can do or the general manager can do. Does this not feel like something that the players need to deal with? That it's not just, you know, go to the school principal and do something about this guy? To me, this is, to me, this is, this is, this is an internal thing. This is like, Naz, we can't have this anymore. We love how you play. You just can't do that mm. anymore. I, I just can't imagine that lesson need to be taught more to this guy who's experienced it so many times. And it cost him a position with uh, his childhood team in Toronto and a, a dream position there. And instead, he goes to a team with Stanley Cup aspirations, and he misses the final eight games of their postseason. So that's only part of the story, though, Jeff. I mean, they win game yeah. one, 7-1. Nathan McKinnon scores in that game. He doesn't score the rest of the way. And I know he had two assists yesterday. And you mentioned Gabriel Landeskog. He had a couple of pretty brutal turnovers in this series as well. I mean, it really did feel like Vegas was just all-around better. Do you think they were Nazem Kadri away from, from beating the Vegas Golden Knights? Uh, no, I don't. Like, I still think that there's enough talent on that uh, on that Colorado team. Like, see, this is one of the conversations that they were having. You know, Vegas was having all season long. Um, are we good enough to beat Colorado? That was their measuring stick team all season long. Let me. So I was having a conversation. Let me re grab it here. You guys might find this interesting. So I was having a conversation with a coach on Tuesday. All right, I'll read part of it to you here. This is Tuesday, six thirty three a.m. Uh, I get a, a, a text from a, from a coach friend of mine who says about Colorado Vegas, and <clears throat> I'll read it to you. Do you want to be the best entry team or best recovery team? I thought about it for a while, and I said, probably for this series, a better recovery team. And he says, I think what we're seeing in Vegas, Colorado right now is this. Vegas turned up their recovery game, creating puck races, uh, playing fast with a plan, you know, all the pucks in deep stuff. Colorado is still trying to play an entry game. And for this coach, his question was, at what point does Jared Bednar say, we need to play more like Vegas is playing? And at that moment, in a lot of ways, you got him. I think Vegas and Peter DeBoer played not unlike how Los Angeles did not that long ago en route um, to a couple of Stanley Cups, albeit with much more speed because that Los Angeles team was a really slow squad. Um, they played a really simple recovery game against Colorado, and they created foot races. And as we saw in this, in this series, Vegas was the quicker team. Not just the quicker team, but they could play at a pace that was high longer than Colorado did. Like, did you not get a feeling watching these, these games, guys, that right at, the beginning of the, uh, right at the beginning of the opening puck drop, it was almost like Vegas grabbed Colorado by the leg, dragged him into deep water and said, we're going to swim here. Let's see who can tread water the longest. And Colorado kept up with the Vegas pace for a while. But then as the game wore on, Vegas kept that pace as Colorado started to trail off. So I don't think that was a Kadri thing. I don't think that was a, man, Kadri was the difference. And if they have Nazem Kadri, we're talking about an entirely different series. I think they played a really smart recovery game, and they played a game where they were able to keep the pace up for a full three periods. One thing I do want to say, I want to get this out. One thing I do want to say about game one, I thought game one was a great team game for the Vegas Golden Knights, and I thought it was a great coach game 
for the Vegas Golden Knights, even though they got starched, even though that was, you know, Colorado ran all over them. A couple of things happened. Peter DeBoer recognized that Marc-Andre Fleury, who might have just been, with all due respect to Mark Stone, might have been the best player in this entire series, that he needed a rest. And that rest was going to pay off for the remainder of the series. So we put in Robin Leonard. Great coaching decision, as it turns out. And I got to give it up for Robin Leonard, too. Even in that defeat, that was almost the game that Vegas just needed to get out of the way. I think they go into that game thinking, this is the guaranteed loss. We're on fumes right now, and we all need a rest, especially our goaltender. Robin Leonard went in there knowing that no matter how bad it got, and it got bad, that he wasn't coming out. He had to eat all of it. All three periods, you know, no support, pucks coming at him from everywhere, from one of the elite teams in the NHL, and there was no life preserver coming. I think that is a great team moment for Vegas. And what Leonard did in that game, buying Marc-Andre Fleury that rest, I don't think it can be overstated enough. I thought the decision to play Leonard and how he performed, albeit in a blowout loss, is really commendable in this series. It's funny because at the time, everyone was just killing it, and now it's done. You step back, you look at the full picture, and everybody loves it. And that's kind of how I feel about the playoffs in general, where all regular season, all we did was praise. And I don't want to pretend like the Knights are an amazing team or that Tampa isn't an incredibly skilled team either, but... It's just about praising skill during the regular season. And look at the skill and skill and skill, the overwhelming skill, and now we're left with these final four teams. And I look at them, it's like, well, what do they all have in common? Is that they can all play this style of hockey and that Vegas was the better recovery team and Vegas was, sorry, but the heavier team, the deeper team, and had a better goalie. <laughs> and I look at Blue the line. Islanders and the Blue way that line, they're playing JD. where it's like, Blue what? lines, Blue lines, J.D., blue lines. Sure. Yeah, exactly. But it's just like, and I look at the Islanders and I look at the Canadians and I know the Canadians got lucky against the Leafs in some ways, but they still did it. Like they were able to lock them down and they got to know and they got price and they were able to throw, like continue to throw Shea Weber over the boards. And it's just you, you look at these final remaining teams. It's like Tampa made those adjustments to become a team like that. And sure, there's cap circumvention weird stuff that has allowed them to have this team with all of the balance. How it's kind of a you, how dare you, sir? No, I, I, I think it's hilarious <laughs> that people were like, Dougie Hamilton's making excuses. It's like, uh, that seems like a fairly reasonable excuse to me. And yes, it doesn't matter that a bunch of teams did it. Nobody did it the way Tampa did it, okay? There's a pretty yeah. big difference in terms of the way that you fudge getting Nick Felino's contract under the bar versus getting Nikita Kucherov, one of the best players in the NHL. But who, I, I, my point is, is that it's really hard not to be reactionary and look at all of the way that these playoffs have shaken out and go back to what we talked about with Shane O'Brien a week ago, which is you feel bad for GMs in some ways because you need this super skilled team to get you through the regular season. And then once you get here, it's like you need a completely different team to win. What's Mark Bergevin's great line? There are guys who get you there and guys who get you through, right? This Love is like, it's, it's the story of Pat Maroon. Like during the regular season, do we spend any time talking about Patrick Maroon? Guy goes out and wins Stanley Cups. He's key contributor in all these Stanley Cup teams. Um, I mean, this has been a common story in the NHL for, for years and years, and it's because there's two, there's two separate seasons. And it's Friedman always goes out of his way to, to, to talk about this, and I, I think he's right to some extent. I'm not as far on Friedman's side on it, but I, I, I do think he has a good point. It's not so much that the officiating changes 
in the playoffs as much as the players change in the playoffs. Like, you know, there are some guys, like I, I can remember talking to one player who actually made it to the Hall of Fame who used to say, the beginning of, of every year, he would tell his coach, he'd say, you know, at the beginning of the season, here we are, um, there's going to be 30 games this year where I'm the best player on the ice. Like, I look like I'm going to get two goals and two assists. I'm going to be first star. There's going to be about 30 games like that. Then there's going to be 30 games where you can't find me unless you grab the game sheet. And for the remaining games, we're just going to see how I feel that day. And that's pacing yourself through a season. And players do that. And I think 82 games is a grind and physically taxing and mentally taxing. And I understand, even though as a hockey fan you hate to hear it, why guys do that. Nobody paces themselves through the playoffs. Mm-mm. There's no pacing. There's no like, yeah, you know what? Some guys on the I, Leafs might disagree with you. But I'm yeah, going to like, well, and, but, you, but you, you see what happens when you do, right? If you take yeah. the foot off the gas and the teams that get there and you look at the teams that are there now, and I don't think it should be, you know, understated or uh, you know, uh, not remarked upon that, you know, three of the four teams out of the bubble in the final four are the same. Mm-hmm. Montreal taking the place of Dallas here. You know, the, the teams that aren't taking the foot off the pedal for a, for a series, for a game, for a shift. It's the players that change here. It's just more intense. And, and uh, O'Brien's right. Like, it's tough to construct a team when in a lot of ways, in the back of your mind, you're not making one team, but you're really making two. And you're just hoping that the guys that work for the first team can also work for the second because everybody steps up their game in the playoffs. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the thing about three of the four teams because that's all I could, that was all that was ringing out to me yesterday was, mm-hmm. boy, um, we talk about sample size and not overreacting to playoff sample sizes, and now it's like two years in a row where it's three <laughs> of the four teams. You're like, that seems like a good sample size to say that this is these seem to be some pretty good playoff formulas. Okay, you get one choice of topic before we close this one out. Oh, if I the Habs get browbeat, the legacy of the North Division and how this all played out, uh, and now I'm forgetting what the number two topic was. Damn it. <laughs> oh, was it uh, <laughs> Carey Price versus Marc-Andre Fleury for the right no. to be Canada's goalie in 2020? Okay, no. here, let me – let me. Uh, I, 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 I talked about this. Oh, was, oh I, I remember what the other one was. What's it was, that? yeah, Legacy of the North Division, or I heard your quote of it gets loudest in the shallow end of the pool when it comes to the Leafs, <laughs> and I felt like that was a direct shot at me. But oh, uh, that's everybody okay. Everybody on Twitter. No, no, but I, I, but I also still wondered if you had – shifted any thoughts about this Leafs team and, you know, where they go from here. But one of those two, North Division Legacy or Leafs shallow end of the pool, Jeff Merrick now <laughs> looking at it, and these teams and the way that we've ended up in this perspective of, yeah. I like, those three out of the four and thinking, are is Toronto really going to be one of the three of the four next year? Like, uh, with this current regime, or not regime, like, I mean, like, you need to fire everybody up top, but, like, this core players, I would say no. Uh, first of all, um, let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. What's the over-under on how many times in the next week and a half we talk about the Pacioretty suzuki trade? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's already started. Like about a, a trillion. Qu- trillion times you're going to hear this mentioned uh, everywhere. Um, I, I think that just because it's, it's such an, um, it's, it was such a bizarre thing that was celebrated from coast to coast to coast, you know, the legacy of of the North Division here. Like, if Montreal totally flames out as 
And listen, a lot of people expect that they will. And Vegas, Vegas is, I think, you know, is minus five hundred series favorites yeah, somewhere in that no, region. No, this really? is this is <laughs> yeah. a tall task. Like this is this is a tall task. Like this is this is uh, a giant here. Like this, and they're and they're healthy, and they're firing. Like the, there's no yeah. there's no one area you look at and you say that's where Montreal has them. And I mean, it's going to be a great, you know, Carey Price versus Mark Andre Fleury, all the sidebars and the trade and Suzuki and Pacioretty and all that. We all mm-hmm. get it in the big blue lines. Um, I think we'll honestly. I think we'll probably look at the North Division and we'll say, you know what? Maybe it was really the weakest out of all the divisions, rightly or wrongly, because you know Montreal over Toronto right. was an upset. Montreal over Winnipeg uh, was an upset. Upsets happened everywhere except, except in the other three divisions. Right. So I think we'll probably look at it and say, as much as it was fun, as much as Canadians loved it. Probably was the weakest division, but we'll see. Yeah, no, I think uh, I I don't even need uh, a Carey Price fifty saves a game performance to get to six games and then losing to the Vegas Golden Knights to already make that assessment. Uh, yeah, it was, and not to say that these all these teams are horrible, but it's clearly different hockey than we're watching in uh, Colorado and Vegas. But to 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 to, to the point to the point about the Maple Leafs, so I want to make sure that I don't dodge that one. I just sort of uh, uh, address that question as well. Maybe the best way that it was put to me, because this game, as much as still, you know, you see it and like, oh, look at, you know, Adam Pellick and Ryan Pulak, like that's how you play defense and Weber and um, uh, like and Ben Chirac, like that's how you play defense. Like that's that's what wins right now. I mean, that's what wins until it's something else that wins, right? Like Carolina wins in 2006. It's all about foot speed. Anaheim wins in 2007. It's all about toughness. Like everybody chases whatever is successful the season before and the best way that it was put to me about the Toronto Maple Leafs and their construction as we continue to see this game evolving towards skill you can be right but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're right right now like do you not look at the sort of philosophy like of roster construction for the Toronto Maple Leafs and say I think that Dubas is right I just don't know that that's right today you know what I'm kind of getting at? Yes, I I, I do. It's It'll just be that... right in future moon hockey, yeah, no. when they're playing on no, the moon. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, but it, no, but it is. <sighs> but I kind of feel like it's a bit of a cop-out just from this standpoint. It's like, yeah, it's easy to always say, you know what you should do is go out and get good players. And use, I, you win with good players and teams win with talented players. And you don't give up on the top-end talented players. It's like... Uh, it's absolutely correct. I just think it's kind of an oversimplification. It's like if it was just about top end players, if it was just about skill, if that was enough, Toronto should have been fine. And they haven't won a playoff series with all mm-hmm. this skill and different variations around this skill. And people even when we go back and say, well, can you really judge those guys when they were like 21, 22? No, but they still were surrounded by a ton of skill. They were like surrounded by JVRs and Tavares in his prime. Like it's not as though it's them with nothing the whole time. It's been them with other variations of tons of skill. And so mm-hmm. they've added it and they have it. And then I look around and say, well, what are you missing? And it feels like there might just be something with that core group yeah. that is a little flawed. And at some point, we have to acknowledge that. And if it's not now, well, you better hope that you get it right next year. Because if not, okay. I, I feel like everybody's got to go. And it's a, it's a new Shanahan. It's a new Dubas. It's a new top of the core. Like, it's, it's complete overhaul city. Okay, let's go back to first-year philosophy class in university, studying Aristotle. Never took it. 
Aristotle always talked about how things exist in two states, actuality and potentiality. No matter what it is, it exists in those two states. All Take the least have ever existed in this potentiality. That's, well, that's the what only I, that, place. That's what I want to get to here. When you look at all these players, how many do you say are existing in a state of actuality versus potentiality? Mark Stone is the face of actuality. Like that's 100%. 100%. You got that right. Maybe the best two-way player in the game today. As ugly as he is to watch skate, oh man, that breakaway from his own blue line was ugly, but he scored. You know, and the way that he sh- the way that he he shuts down Nathan McKinnon was pretty brilliant. He's the best two way guy. That is okay. That is the best you're seeing from Mark Stone. You still got to ask yourself: Is this the best we're going to see from Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, William Nylander, or is there still more? And if there's more, go back to the old Sam Pollock line. Don't give up on young hockey players until you are 100, not 99, mm-hmm. percent certain. Yeah. That's uh, what I'll perhaps, leave you with. perhaps there will be more on the moon uh, when we start that first I love season that. of moon, moon hockey. hockey. All right. Great. We got to go, Jeff. Uh, <laughs> thanks, buddy. Talk to you. Thanks, boys. Have a good weekend. See ya. You too. Jeff Merrick.